This is Movies for the Blind, episode 193, Behind Green Lights, part two of two. In my kind of job, your reasons have got to make sense. I suppose so. Hello and welcome to Movies for the Blind, where you can enjoy films without looking at a screen. I'm Valerie Hunter. We continue with Behind Green Lights, starring a woman whose life was just as dramatic as Mary Astor's, discussed a couple episodes ago, only this woman's life was brutishly short. Carol Landis grew up in poverty in Wisconsin, dropped out of school and had her first marriage at 15, moved to Hollywood after saving $100, and eventually became one of the most popular pinup girls of World War II. She had four husbands, one twice, and her romances included Busby Berkeley, movie mogul Darylef Zanuck, and even Valley of the Dolls author Jacqueline Suzanne. Her last romance would prove her undoing, though. Two years after she made this film we're hearing, she would fall in love with Rex Harrison and have an affair with him despite both parties being married. Allegedly, his refusal to divorce led to her committing suicide by overdose. She was only 29 years old. We still have her movies, though, and her character here, mayoral candidate's daughter Janet Bradley, is dealing with some drama of her own during a long night in a police station. A weaselly private eye she visited earlier is dead, left in a car that rolled up to the station's front steps, sending reporters into overdrive. Lieutenant Sam Carson is keeping Janet sequestered while trying to gather more evidence, and not helping is Doc Yeager, the medical examiner beholden to a newspaper publisher who wants to smear the Bradley name for political reasons, and because it makes a good story. He wants Doc to get rid of the body— But where we left off, it was a boxer named Zachary trying to rid himself of jail so he can work in a late-night fight. So, let's find out who we can catch up with first in the conclusion of Behind Green Lights. Leaving the press room. I vote for Louis. He has the best beer. What's the best dish in the joint? The The blonde blonde behind the counter. As Ames and two other reporters go down some stairs, a covered body is wheeled on a gurney around a corner. Doc steps out to meet the assistant pushing and directs him to leave along a wall. The assistant goes into Doc's office, and after he checks under the sheet, Doc follows. Zachary peeks around another corner. He sneaks along the wall with his back to it and is about to move on when he accidentally touches the body, startling him. He looks under the sheet. Sneaking across the hall to the press room, he listens for anyone inside, then opens the door and looks around. There's no one there. The closet is open with Dan's buffalo coat hanging inside. Zachary retreats back into the hallway. As Doc fills out a form for the assistant in his office, shadows move on the press room's frosted window. Zachary returns with Bard's body, still dressed. With his arms around his chest, Zachary kicks the door closed and drags Bard across the room. To the closet. He props the body up against the coat and starts to leave. But the body starts falling, so he catches it and closes the closet with both of them inside. 
Another door opens, and one of the reporters steps out, wiping his hands on a paper towel. He goes to the main door and leaves. The closet door opens, and Zachary peeks out, then steps out and closes it quickly. He sneaks to the main door, opens it a crack to check the hall, then leaves. Hurrying to the gurney, he gets on, while in Doc's office. Yeah, that's all you need. Now get going. Zachary lays with the sheet over himself just as the assistant backs into the hall. Pulling the gurney away from the wall, he wheels Zachary away. Soon after, some double doors open, and officers help the assistant move the gurney out of the station. They load it into the back of a van. Woodbury Crematorium. This one burns, huh? Yep. Give him an easy ride. It's his last one. They close the doors, and one of the officers joins the assistant in the front. The officer drives away. Later, the van stops outside the crematorium. Someone steps out of it to help the assistant and the officer, who get out. The assistant opens the back door and finds no body. He turns to the others. The stiff's gone. Are you sure you ever had one? Gosh, Bill, I put him in there myself. Let me use your phone. Later on the phone. Yeah, Doc. The body must have walked right out of the ambulance. Well, go back over your route. Keep your eyes open and your trap shut. If you can't find a body, report to me as soon as you get here. Doc hangs up. Well... The assistant hangs up, turning to the other man, startling them both. In Calvert's office... Hello. What? Oh, so somebody else wants Bard's body, huh? Ah, uh, that crew must be double-crossing you. They must know how that body was taken out of the ambulance. Well, I don't believe it. You make them cough up the truth. Doc shifts uncomfortably. I want to know who else wants that body. Listen, Yeager, this is a pretty serious matter. Both for the administration and for the police department, and incidentally for you. But I did everything I could, Mr. Calvert. Everything you asked me to. You find that body and get rid of it. Calvert hangs up, and so does Doc, thinking. He hits the intercom for Sam. Yes? Sam, a John Doe that was being transported to the Woodbury Crematorium has disappeared from the ambulance. What do you mean, disappeared? The boys say that they loaded it into the ambulance, and when they got there, it was gone. Well, what am I supposed to do, pull your rabbits out of my hat? The doors must have fallen open. Tell Riley to send a patrol car over the route the ambulance took. I've already told the crew to retrace their route. Well, find that body before the papers find it for you. Johnny walks into the press room. Taking off his hat, he heads for the closet and opens it, tossing in the hat. He closes it and steps to the main table, then pauses. Holy smoke! He runs back and peeks inside, then runs to the phone. Hello. Hello, this is Johnny Williams. Let me speak to Mr. Jones, quick. The flower seller steps in. I'll call you right back. You're new around here, ain't you? What's your name? Williams, the Herald. I'm pretty busy. He types. Sure you're busy. You bricklayers is always busy. Unless it's a bouquet you're wanting on the cuff until Saturday night. She puts her arms around him. Flossie, my darling. Flossie. She pinches his cheeks. And give us a kiss, Flossie. But I'm on to your banana oil. Look, Flossie, I gotta phone my paper. There's been a murder. Sure there's been a murder. Didn't he get himself killed with one of me carnations in his buttonhole? And owing me a dollar six bits. Seven of them he died on me Oh, for. that's a shame, Flossie. But you'll get your money back. And when I asked the cops 
for me, Duke. What do I get? Bird seed. I'll tell you what you do, Flossie. You go down to the desk. When all I want is me dollar six bits out of the money he died in his pants with. She sits. I've been to the desk, and what do I get? Birdsy. He pulls her up. This time you tell the lieutenant that I sent you. Johnny Williams of the Herald. Tell him to give you your dollar six bits, and the Herald will pay it. Tell him I personally guarantee it. He gets her out and shuts the door. <sighs> then rushes back to the phone. Hello, give me Mr. Jones. Flossie comes back. Wait. And gets her tray. Birdseed. Then leaves. Hello, Mr. Jones. Wait. He kicks the door closed. I got a Lulu on that Walter Bard killing. An exclusive. Yeah. In the press room clothes closet. Dan walks in. Hey, wait a minute. Oh, I'll call you back, Mr. Jones. As Johnny hangs up, Dan looks through his desk. Now, oh, where are my scissors? I never seem to be able to find them. Johnny searches the table. Last time I found them in my overcoat pocket. When he goes to the closet. Here they are, Mr. Wintergreen. He turns back and Johnny offers them. I'm awfully sorry, Mr. Wintergreen. Dan goes into the other room. I wish people would leave my scissors alone. He returns with a thin chain. This time, I'll nail them down. As he strings the chain through the scissors, a milk truck pulls up outside the station. The milkman steps out with some bottles. Milk! How many, you guys? That's Mr. Rosinski. Get a bottle for me, will you? Yeah. Johnny goes to the window and opens it. Make it one for Wintergreen. Rosinski throws a bottle up and Johnny catches. Hey, is Wintergreen up there? Yeah, he's here. Tell him I want to buy his buffalo coat. I'll be right up. Hey, no dice. He doesn't want to sell. I never heard of such impertinence. As if I didn't have the right to dispose of my own property. Dan heads for the closet, but Johnny stops him. Mr. Wintergreen, you can't sell that overcoat. He gives him the milk. I hoped you'd bring a chastening influence to this menagerie. Why, it'd be an insult to your grandfather and to the grand old name of Boone. It'd be unpatriotic. I am dreadfully disappointed in you, Williams. Why, that overcoat's made history. It's practically a national monument. You can't have a big lug like Rosinski delivering milk in it. Why don't you get wise to what you've got? Why, that overcoat ought to be in the Smithsonian Institute. They'd pay real dough for it. Smithsonian? Uh-huh. Hmm. But do you really think... No, Williams. No, my mind is made up. Giving back the milk, Dan opens the closet. Oh! Johnny shoves him in. And locks the door. Then he runs to the phone. Get in, Mr. Jones, quick. Rosinski reaches the landing and crosses it to the press room. Sure, Mr. Jones. That's what I said. Walter Bard's body in the press room clothes closet. Hey, there's somebody in there. I know it sounds crazy, Mr. Jones, and I'm not drunk. It's true. There's a guy in here, I tell you. Listen to him holler his head off. Yeah, and I'm the only one that knows except Wintergreen, and I got him spiked. Rosinski goes to the closet. Jones. And gets it open. Dan collapses out and pulls himself onto his chair, fanning himself with his scarf. In Sam's office with Oppenheimer... Yes? Mr. Haggerty, city editor of the Herald, Lieutenant. Right. Sam picks up the phone. Hello, Haggerty. What did you say? In the press room? Here? What? As soon as I've nailed the guy that sold you that one, I'll be over personally to tell you what kind of a joint I'm running around here. He hangs up. One of those tosspot reporters phoned Haggerty and said that Bard's body is hanging in the press room clothes closet. They pause. Say... You don't think he was talking about the John Doe that Jaeger lost? There's only one way to find out. Oppenheimer opens the door and they go. In the press room, 
That's what I said, you dope, all wrapped up in somebody's overcoat in the press room closet. My overcoat, please. Credit where credit is due. Krasinski puts on the coat. Perfect fit. <laughs> hey, what goes on? I found Bard, all wrapped up in Wintergreen's overcoat in the clothes closet. Now Harold's printing it, so relax, fellas, and save paper. Sam and Oppenheimer enter and go to the closet. Give me, give me a rewrite, sweetheart. They bend down to him. Agony was right, it is Bard. Hey, this guy didn't bleed much. Hey, you anything about that? Not to me. Have them taken back, Sergeant. They stand, and Doc's assistant arrives with a gurney. You'll get it, Mr. Lieutenant Carson, examine the body now. Later, they go through the basement morgue. 30 years, Lieutenant, I've been putting them on ice. Nobody ever done this to me before. Where was he? In here. Pull it out. He turns to a compartment and pulls out another covered gurney. Sam uncovers it. That's the John Doe we fished out of the bay. The one Doc Yeager committed tonight for cremation. How'd it get in there? I don't know. Doc approaches them. Number seven myself, there's been a switch. Here's Doc Yeager now. What's this all about, Sam? It looks as if someone went outside as that John Doe you lost. Only it wasn't John Doe, it was Walter Bard. John Doe is here in Bard's place. Well, this is absurd, Sam. A lot of things are tonight. You signed a commitment paper, didn't you? Yes, for John Doe. Well, Bard's body must have been picked up by mistake. That's the only way it could have happened. Well, so long as it turned out all right. O'Malley, get that John Doe out of here. Put Bard back in the right place. And see that he stays there until the chief medical examiner's through with him. Yes, sir. The orders are followed as Doc walks off with Sam and Oppenheimer. The clock tower chimes for two in the morning. Ames is on the phone. Is this Mrs. Bard? Hello, Mrs. Bard. This is Ames of the Express. Express? Oh, uh, I haven't the slightest idea what connection Miss Bradley has with the case. In fact, I didn't know she was even acquainted with my husband. You're welcome. Nora hangs up. A report on Express. The police have found out Janet Bradley was in Walter's apartment tonight. She paces away from Arthur. Then turns to him. Arthur, we've got to go to the police station and tell them the truth. No, we've got to sit tight. If we do, we'd never trust each other again, Arthur. There'd always be that doubt. It'd grow and keep on growing. In the end, it'd break us apart. We'd distrust each other for the rest of our lives. At this moment, Arthur, there's a voice inside me saying, I'm not sure of him. Do you really mean that, Nora? Yes, I do. And maybe there's a voice inside you saying, I'm not sure of her. Don't you see how right I am, Arthur? We couldn't live together like that. You ought to be the lawyer, Nora. We'll go down to Carson's office right now. Darling. They kiss. Later in Sam's office, Sam answers his phone. Hello. Yes. He sits. I'd like somebody to come down here and perform an autopsy. Sure, I know I got Jaeger. I want someone else. Uh, Bard. For a very particular reason. Or how about Doc Hastings? As soon as you can get him down here. Hanging up. He presses the intercom. I'll see Mrs. Bard now. She enters with Arthur. We've come to make certain alterations in our statement, Lieutenant. What's happened? Arthur pulls out a chair for Nora to sit. We told you we weren't at Bard's apartment this evening. Well, we were. Nora was there when Bard died. And I was there later. Go on. I didn't tell Arthur I was going, but I went to ask Walter once more to give me a divorce. She remembers. There's no use being angry with me, Nora. Take off your things and stay a while. 
Have a drink? It's a rainy evening. That's finished, Walter. I'm in love with Arthur Templeton. We want to get married. So you can make it legitimate, eh? You have no right to say that. You have absolutely no grounds whatsoever. Perhaps. But I'm not going to turn you loose so Templeton can put you on his income tax. Besides, this arrangement suits me fine. So long as I'm married, no woman can make a sucker out of me. But, Walter, I... Don't worry. Go into the bedroom. I'll talk with you as soon as I'm through with this party. She goes into the bedroom, and Bard closes the door, wearing his shoulder holster. He answers the front door. Well, well. Come in, Miss Bradley. Did you listen? I heard a little. Walter seemed to have some papers that Miss Bradley wanted to buy, but he was holding out for more money. And then? Then there was some sort of scuffle. I don't know what happened. Then Miss Bradley demanded the papers. I got the impression she was covering Walter with a gun. Then a door slammed. Yes? I waited a few minutes, then I went in. She remembers stepping out of the bedroom. Walter had just taken a drink. He took a step toward me. He collapses, contorted. I'll never forget the way he looked. The muscles of his face were all drawn up as if they were knotted. Then he fell into a chair. When I got to him, he was dead. I was terrified. I rushed out of the place. Why didn't you call the police? I was afraid to. Did you take a drink with Bard? No. Sam stands and steps around her chair. Do you remember if Bard's gun was still in the holster? I'm sure it wasn't. But I do remember seeing it there when I first went in. Then who shot Bard? I shot Bard. They turn to Arthur, who also remembers. I went to see Bard for the same reason Nora did. I thought perhaps I could get him to change his mind about the divorce. I just pulled up with a curb opposite his apartment house. Door opened, and Nora came running out. She looked frightened. Before I could get around to calling after her, she had jumped into her car and started off. I noticed that the car in front of the apartment was Bard's. I'd asked her never to go to Bard's apartment again. The more I thought about Nora being there, the less I liked it. He crosses the street to the apartment building, and soon after approaches Bard's door. When no one answers, he listens, then opens the door. Glancing back, he goes inside. He stops when he spots Bard, then steps to the body. The notion that Bard's callousness had driven Nora to killing him took hold of me. That would be murder. He notices the glass and picks it up with a gloved hand. It looked like poison to me. All I could think of was that Nora might be traced to the apartment. There was only one thing to do, get the body out of the place. I knew the risk I was running, but I had to do it. Putting down the glass, he gets Bard's jacket, then returns to the body, takes one arm, and starts pulling the jacket on him. Soon after, the door opens and Arthur carries the body out over his shoulder. He pauses at the elevator. Someone was coming up. I didn't dare go back and wait. He goes down the stairs. I'd have to carry him down. He was taking a big chance, but it was late and luck was with me. No one saw me. Peeking through the railing at a couple walking off, Arthur continues down the stairs. With the body over his shoulders, he carefully steps down the shadowy stairway toward the first floor, pausing to make sure no one's around. Soon after, he carries Bard around the back of the building. Then sets him in the front seat of the car. 
laying him down. He moves to close the door. Then I saw the gun. If I could fake a suicide, Nora's fingerprints wouldn't be on the gun. It would swing suspicion away from her. I held the gun close to him to muffle the shot. It occurred to me then, if Bard's body was found as far as possible from his apartment house, Nora's danger would be still less. I released the brake. Then he closes the door. Started the car rolling down the hill away from the apartment house. Smoking in Sam's office. And that's our story. Nora's and mine. Templeton, do you believe Mrs. Bard's story? Yes, I do. And you believe his? Of course I do. You really came down here to convince each other that you were each telling the truth, didn't you? Partly. We had to speak for Janet Bradley, too, Lieutenant. Sam stands. I'll need a detailed statement from both of you later. Certainly, Lieutenant. Nora stands. Wait in the outer office. Sam holds the door open for them, and they leave. At the front desk. I'm sorry, Flossie, but you'll have to see Lieutenant Carson. See the lieutenant, he says. A dollar six bits. That's Tip died Owenly, and he tells me to see the lieutenant. Listen. She steps around the desk. I will see the lieutenant and the chief and the mayor and the governor if I have to. I'll have me dollar six bits if I have to see the president himself. Sure, Flossie, sure. You're right. He escorts her back. I don't blame you a bit. She gets her tray. Okay, my lord. Birdseed. She walks off. What have you got? Meanwhile, Janet sits reading a magazine, then tosses it and stands, stepping to a window. She looks out into the night. So does Sam out his office window, thinking... He steps away. Janet turns when he enters the room, closing the door. She faces him. Smoke? No, thanks. We've turned up some new evidence. Does it help me? No. Oh. What is it? Bard didn't die of a gunshot. He was poisoned. Really? Someone slipped the stuff in his whiskey decanter. Oh, wait a minute. You don't think I put the poison in his decanter. Why didn't you drink your highball? Well, I, I didn't want it. How do you think that'll sound in court? Any way you want it to sound, I suppose. Are you going to book me? If you could give me just one solid reason why I shouldn't. I'm sorry for you, Lieutenant Carson. I'm in a bad spot, but so are you. You have to decide whether I'm guilty because I really am guilty or because I'm Luther Bradley's daughter. If you book me now, you'll never be sure whether you did it because you really believe I killed Walter Bard or, or because Max Calvert told you to. That's one of the things I'm trying to get straight in my mind. If Calvert wasn't turning on the heat, and another reason, would have been easy. I'd have booked you, but fast. What other reason? It wouldn't make sense to you or to anyone else. In my kind of job, your reasons have got to make sense. I suppose so. And that means? I'll have to book you the way things stand. 
He walks away from her. Returning to his desk, he sits down, still thinking. He opens a drawer and takes out the envelope of Bard's belongings, then empties it onto the desk. He looks through a wallet. Picks up a few carnations and a little book. He considers the flowers. He opens the intercom. Next to Flossie. Yes, sir. Say, is that nutty woman that sells flowers still in the building? In the building? She's practically in my lap. And just took some pills. Don't worry, Lieutenant. I'll get rid of her. Don't get rid of her. I want to see her. Send her in. Then see if you can locate Oppenheimer. Okay, Lieutenant. All right, Flossie. The Lieutenant will see you now. They get up, and Flossie takes her flower tray to Sam. Six bits. Sit down, darling. None of that. All I want is the money that stiff owes me. You mean Bard? He must have died with some assets in his pants, Lieutenant. Don't worry about that. You'll get your dollar six bits. Tell me, did you sell Mr. Bard? Sure I did. When? Six o'clock this evening, just as he was coming out of Simmy's bail bond office. Didn't he pay you for it? He did not. He never pays you. You've always got to chase him. Up to the present moment, that slicker owes me a dollar six bits. Did you see him after that? I went to his apartment to collect, but I didn't see him. He must have been out to dinner, so I stuck around. Did you see anyone else when you were up there? Nobody but Doc Yeager. Do I get my money or don't I? Yeager? He was up there? Bard was out to the both of us. What time was this? Oh, I don't know. Half past eight, maybe. I knocked on Bard's door and he didn't answer, so I stuck around in the corridor. It was raining out and I was wet to my pelt. Then Doc Yeager came up. Did Jaeger see you? No, he never seen me, but he was there. You ask him. Oh, tell me about Jaeger. What happened? I was drying myself at the radiator on the stairway landing. She remembers. I was down half a flight, so he didn't see me. Doc steps out of the elevator as Flossie looks up through the railing. Never seen a man so scared. The way he kept looking around. He steps to Bard's door, glances back, and presses the buzzer. He glances back again, then goes through a set of keys. He could hardly find the keyhole. His hand was shaking so. I don't know how many keys he tried before he got the one that fitted. He opens Bard's door, glances back again, then goes inside. He shut the door behind him so quiet I could hardly hear it. He steps out. He couldn't have been in there more than a minute, and he still acted like he was scared of his own shadow. He walks quickly to the elevator, gets it open, and steps in. In Sam's office. He never seen me, but he was there. You ask him. Sam goes to his intercom. Doc, come into my office again, will you? Okay. And now do I get my financial reimbursement? He gives her money. There you are. You can always tell a gentleman by the way he treats a lady. She hands him a flower. Just a minute. I want you to wait in here. She takes her tray into another room, where Sam keeps the door ajar, then returns to his desk. Doc approaches the office tentatively. Come in, Doc. 
brightening, he enters. You don't look well, Doc. Sit down. Oh, I'm all right. Tired, that's all. He sits. Too much night work, I guess. I'm not as young as I was. He cleans his glasses. What's up, Sam? Bard's death is a lucky break for you, isn't it, Doc? I don't get you. This malpractice case the grand jury's got on you. Bard did some investigating for the medical association, didn't he? Oh, he's got nothing on me. I wonder what happened to the evidence he dug up. It isn't in either his apartment or his office. Because there never was any. I heard different. Funny how it disappeared, isn't it, Doc? Oh, you're not insinuating that I... That you got a hold of it? Yes, I am, Doc. Boy, that's ridiculous. He puts the glasses back on. The building since the body was found. Maybe you were out before it was found. I was not. You weren't in Bard's apartment early this evening? Certainly not. Along about 8.30? No. Suppose I told you you were seen going into Bard's apartment with one of your keys. You stayed there a few minutes, then left, locking the door after you. Whoever said that's a liar? Flossie bursts in. Who's calling me a liar? It's yourself that's the liar. I seen you a sneaking into the poor murdered boy's apartment and sneaking out again with the mark of can all over your face. And that's how the poison got in Bart's whiskey. Doc jumps with a pistol, and Sam struggles with him for it. Help! Flossie hides behind the desk. Help! Police! Sam gets Doc's gun hand behind his back and stands him up. But Doc breaks free and runs out of the office. And down the hall... Sam gets up with the gun and steps out. He and two other men turn and run with Sam after Doc, who goes through the stairs and hurries down. Sam gets to the stairs and follows. Doc reaches the long morgue hallway with a covered body at one end and runs. Seeing a shadow behind him, he ducks into a compartment past another gurney and hides in the darkness as Sam and the other men run down the stairs. Zachary lurks with a bandage over one eye checking around a corner. Two officers head down the morgue hallway, but find no one. As Doc keeps hiding, the officers shrug and start back the way they came, past Doc's compartment. He bolts out, spotted by Sam and the others, and sneaks out the back doors. Doc runs into Zachary and strikes him. When he runs off, Zachary tackles him. Sam and the others run out and pull Doc up as Zachary stands. Sam handcuffs Doc. Take him away. He's hustled off. Thanks. Who are you? I'm Zachary. Hey, that's the guy broke jail. Yeah, the Philadelphia Phantom. I won my fight by a knockout, so now I'm back. <laughs> you got back just in time. Well, I guess this ought to wash things up, eh? Not exactly. You're still under arrest. Well, if that ain't gratitude. Don't worry, Zachary. I'll be in your corner when the case comes up. Thanks, pal. Later in his office with Nora and Arthur. You can count on both of us. I think Yeager's confession will be sufficient. Much obliged, Lieutenant. There's still a misdemeanor charge against you, Mr. Templeton, but I don't think it will interfere with your wedding plans. You're invited to our wedding, Lieutenant. Fine. I'll be there to kiss the bride. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck to both of you. Thank you. They leave Sam with Oppenheimer. Now, why couldn't something like that happen to me? Hmm. Oh, nobody loves a copper. Why don't you ask her? Ask her? Ask who? He points to the room holding Janet. What? Yeah, ask her out to breakfast with you. She ought to be pretty hungry by now. You're nuts. It's been done. After the going over I gave her? I still say it's been done. Maybe you got something there. As Oppenheimer drinks water, Sam goes to the room. You're free to go now. Janet stands. We have the confession of a Dr. Yeager. Oh. I'm glad you didn't touch that drink. So am I. I've just had the pleasure of telephoning Max Calvert. 
and informing him that his stooge murdered Walter Bard, which, of course, ruins his front page on Janet Bradley. And that's about all. He gets her coat. Unless you want to tell me what you took away from Bard, between ourselves, of course. I feel I can tell you now. I didn't trust you before. You didn't seem to be yourself, but now you do. Thanks. It's quite a story. He helps her with the coat. Suppose I tell you about it some evening, soon. They smile. Suppose you do. He hands her back. Thank you. In the press room. Yes, the lieutenant was very complimentary, Mr. Jones. He said if I hadn't found the body in the clothes closet, the case might never have been solved. Hey, fellas, look at this. I'll call you back. The other reporters join Ames at the windows, where they watch Sam walking with Janet across the street. The reporters grin as Sam opens a car door for Janet, and she gets in. Then he steps around to the driver's side and gets in behind the wheel. Starting the car, he drives away through the early morning light. The End, described for Movies for the Blind. And that was Behind Green Lights. Very likely, some of the happiest times of Carol Landis's short life was during the war. Few other Hollywood stars traveled to entertain the troops in World War II more than her, and she wrote of her adventures with her fellow performers in a book called Four Jills in a Jeep, which soon became a movie where she starred as herself. No preview of our next film, but as I record this, the calendar has turned to December, which means it's time for something with a holiday vibe, so come back to find out what's in the old stocking this year. I have a feeling I may go a bit traditional this time. To find out more about the movies, about description, and how to subscribe, go to the blog, moviesfortheblind.com, where you can also find out about this podcast Creative Commons license. And the movies are from the Internet Archive, so please support universal access to human knowledge by visiting and donating at archive.org. Thank you for downloading and for listening. Be back next week. Take care.